Hey there, you're listening to Salt the Saints Podcast, and I am sitting here with Randy. What's up, Randy? Hello, I'm doing great, thank you. You're welcome. I don't know if you've ever said thank you after I, maybe, I probably haven't. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. Aren't I ungrateful? I, I, that's what I was really getting out of it. <laughs> we are talking about God today. We were talking about God last time. We were, we were kind of deciding that, you know, if we're moving forward, talking about apologetics, talking about defending our faith, then it's probably important for us to know the foundation upon which that faith is built. And so we got out the Apostles' Creed because that's one of the oldest creeds there is in the Christian faith. And we said, let's break this down. What's the main points of this? It talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's that's pretty much the gist of the Apostles' Creed, right? And so we thought, well, let's start with God, the Father. Let's start with him. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, our, our idea is that if we want to defend our faith, we need to know what our faith is. Right. Just start right there. And do we ever really even stop to think about God? And what is it that we believe about God? Right. And, and, you know, maybe we should stop and say, is everything I believe about God accurate? Ah, that's a great question. So our rule of thumb is going to be Scripture. If we can find it in the Bible. Right. Then, and, and we're not talking about proof texts. We're not talking about is there a phrase in the Bible that says what we want it to say. But as the Bible talks about God, what does the Bible say about God? Last week, we looked at the different names for God in the Bible, and we, we got a good little bit out of that. Yeah. Um, and, and talking about what Randy's saying with the proof texts or finding scriptures that support our, you know, what we, what we believe – um, what he's what he's trying to say there is when you read the Bible, when you sit down and you read the Bible, what do you get out of it? What's the story? What what is it really saying? Not just using the Bible as a resource to say, "Ha ha, <laughs> look exactly. look at what I believe." It's there. It's written there in that verse. You know, what does the main story say? I used to hate it. Uh, I was in charge of a of a fairly large ministry in Colombia. South America, and, and uh, sometimes people would come up to me and they would say, well, uh, that's not biblical, or, or this is the biblical way of doing things. And I, I used to hate it because it was no more biblical than, than I don't know, a, a, a Twix bar. You know? <laughs> right. This, it, it, it was their interpretation of what Scripture said right. that they were talking about. Right. And it so seems what, like seems like everybody's got their own denomination. Everybody's got oh, their yeah. own beliefs. Oh yeah. But what we want to do is look at what Scripture is really saying, and what does it really say about God? What is God like? So if you had to answer the question, God is blank. Fill in the blank. How would you do that? What What are the the different things that you would put in there? Right. And it's it's not necessarily multiple choice, but there are multiple answers to God is what? Right. And and I think, well, we, w- we went through and Randy started listing off a lot of the characteristics of God. Um, and so we're going to get into those. We're going to talk down a list of those. But before we do that, just I think it's important to say that 
each of these things that we're about to talk about, God is the standard to which we measure those things. Um, I think that's a great statement. Right. And and like I'll just mention one kind of toward the top of the list. Um, Love. Like love. What is love? That would – I mean if we were playing Family Feud and (laughs) God is blank, love would probably be the number one answer. Right. But but like we can't put God into the box of what we think something is. Right. Right. Like we can't say like this is what I believe love is and I know that God is that. And so God is like what I believe love is. Right. It's like no, (laughs) God – the what love is is what God is like. It, God is the standard, not our version of whatever these things are. So, just a for instance, following the the sort of that that uh, model that you've already put out there. So, a, a very common thought about love, or what? We're less than two weeks away from Valentine's Day, right? So, uh, love is a box of chocolates. Love is a. Uh, gushy feeling that you get uh, when when you see that special someone. Or that love is always making someone happy. Right. 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 L- love is always being passive and non-confrontational and kind. And really, biblically, it's not. It, sometimes love is very messy and difficult and, and almost sad. Even as parents, love sometimes draws us to punish, to do things that we know are going to anger our children or at least upset them in the short term because we love them and we know that for their long-term good, they need to experience this short-term pain. And and you know what? Um, You just made me think of something that we didn't write down, and God is our Father, he, that that's one of his characteristics. And, and so, like you said, it's just like being a parent. But being a parent is just like doing what God does for us. And that's a really interesting thing. Like, you, you kind of proved the point with the example. Yeah, <laughs> there like you that. go. There you go. Um, so do we want to dig a little bit deeper into God is love? I think so. Okay. So thinking about God is love... Uh, it is certainly something that we find very commonly in Scripture. Uh, my mind went first to 1 John 14, uh, 14, 4. Uh, it's 1 John 4 where uh, John, in writing this, this uh, group of churches, says God is love. If, if we start thinking about love, God is love. Anyone who loves is a child of God. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And on and on. And in that, in that passage of about 10 verses, he just refers to love, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 times. God is love. And that love is seen in his sacrifice for us, in his desire for the best for us, uh, I don't know what else there, Zach. Hmm. I think about like which is it? First Corinthians or Second Corinthians? First Corinthians thirteen. 
Yes. Um, when Paul starts explaining what love is, and we hear that one a lot um, at weddings. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. like the wedding scripture that's going to get read. Uh, I remember the first few, you know, love is patient, love is kind, yep. doesn't yep. boast. Yep. Um, is it when it's not self-seeking? Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of being wronged. Right. And so, like, I think so often we we think love is all about what makes me happy. Um, like, as a kid, like, I think back to me in high school and I'd be, you know, dating a girl and just be like, wow, this doesn't feel good anymore. This doesn't feel um, like I don't have the butterflies every time I'm around her anymore. I guess we fell out of love. And it's like, but that's not what love is. That's right. Love isn't a feeling in your stomach. Love is a commitment. Love is deciding that I'm going to put that person before myself. It's an ongoing decision. It's a desire for the best for the other person. And, of course, that's exactly what God did when he sent Jesus to die for us. Absolutely. It was painful for him to see Jesus hanging on the cross. It was certainly painful for Jesus to go through that death. And yet both of them did that because they knew that that's what had to take place to express their love for us. Um, I just heard Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. He sort of said that in a roundabout way. They weren't talking about love. They weren't talking about you know, the characteristics of God, but they were sort of talking about how God allowed himself when when he decided that he would let humanity live, you know, when when he just didn't destroy us at the original sin, when he said, like, I'm going to make these my people, when he signed up for that, he knew that he was going to be hurt. He knew that he was going to – he wasn't necessarily going to benefit a lot of the time. Like, he, w- he was going to be um, – eventually put to shame and killed on the cross as Jesus. And so, like, he signed up for loving us, even though he understood that that was going to mean all this pain and suffering for him. And so, like, that's love, knowing, hey, this is going to hurt, and this is, I mean, this this is going to suck. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that we frequently do is we we kind of draw a line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we think that the God of the Old Testament is somehow in some way, shape, or form different from the God of the New Testament. And typically when I hear that, they will say that the God of the New Testament is a God of love. But the God of the Old Testament is a God of love. There's a psalm, Psalm 136, that goes through the history of Israel and between almost every episode that it mentions in the history of Israel, in, in what God has done, you get the line, his faithful love endures forever. So you get like uh, 136, um, verse 7, give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Now get this. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. And you look at that and you think, whoa, wait a minute. Genocide. He kills the firstborn of Egypt 
and it's talking about love. But when you see what happens in the context, he gives Egypt the chance to get on board to release Israel, and they say, no, it's for our good to keep these slaves here. And the only way to get Israel free was to actually bring about the death of the firstborn. So that is a sign of his love. Was it painful? Man, was it painful. Did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. And yet, there was love that was motivating even that. Well, I mean, and and sorry, you're kind of drawing a line for me here. to think back to another Old Testament situation that proves that God knew that he was going to die on the cross. When he tells Abraham to take his son and kill him on an altar, what does Abraham say? He says, oh, no, we didn't bring a sacrifice because God's going to provide the sacrifice. God's going to provide the lamb. And so he tells him, no, 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 don't kill him. Don't kill Isaac, right? But at that moment, if if you can't see that that's unfolding on the cross, that God's saying, no, you don't kill your son because I'm going to kill mine. And the beauty of that passage is Mount Moriah, where that took place in Genesis 22, is later in the Old Testament in the book of Chronicles identified as Jerusalem. This the was the spot right. where God would die. Right. And at that moment, God knew, you know, and so... It, it, I guess what we're saying is, you know, loving loving people means knowing that it's not always going to be easy and sometimes it's going to hurt and sometimes maybe really bad even. Um, but that's not to say that love isn't a beautiful thing, too, that, that love isn't full of happy moments and wonderful, wonderful times. But we, we've kind of got this hallmark depiction of love in our heads. And I think we romance, uh, well, that's kind of funny to say we romance it, but <laughs> uh-huh. we do, we romance love, you know, um, what other traits we got? Well, um, so you mentioned God is father. So let's talk about that. Uh, God is, is, he is variously depicted in Scripture as father, as son, as husband. He is even in some places in the Old Testament called a mother. He is a mother hen who gathers his chicks under his wings. Would you mind if we do this one last? Okay, sure. Because I think to accurately describe what it means to be a father or a son or a mother, we need to know the other attributes of God. Oh, that's great. Is that fair? Let's do that. Let's do that. One of the other characteristics that I have here that kind of relates to this is that God is personal. That sets him apart from every other deity that other nations would have. Oh, yeah. Because they had statues that they would worship. God, however, is personal personal. He comes down in a column of fire and he speaks face to face with Moses. Well, beyond that, he also says, don't make graven images of me because you're my image. You don't need, you don't need to carve a stone of me. Look to the person to your left or to your right. And you should see me there among you. Like God's so personal that he's engraved into who we are as people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's just absolutely beautiful. Now, one of the places that we see that in the Old Testament is in the covenants. 
God makes a covenant with Abraham, and then he comes back and he renews that covenant with his children, with with uh, uh, many others of his descendants. He renews it with David and with other kings. Every time he does that, he uses that age's protocols for a business deal. Right. It's it's like God comes down face to face. There are times when God comes down and shares a meal right, with, with Abraham. He is personal. Right. And of course it's it's epitomized, I guess. In uh we just came through Christmas and we talked about this, the incarnation. God not only talks with us as if he were a man, he became flesh and blood. He became a man and lived among us because part of what he wants is that personal connection with us. And, and it's really cool that like you were talking about he, he kind of like when he would make um, his deals with man, when he would um, – make his covenants that he did it on man's terms. Like he doesn't even expect us to understand how he operates fully. Probably because we can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he knows it. Right. But, but he's willing to meet us where we're at and say, look, I'm, I'm going to come to you and we're going to do things the way you're used to because you'll understand that, you know, like with Abraham, it was the blood covenant, you know, or, or, you know, making, um, like the the deal of kings, you know, or, or sacrifices or, you know, it, it's all these very worldly concepts and God is inserting himself into them and sort of saying, no, this is, let's do this the right way, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful thought. Kind of related to that, um, it's, it's something that I think is terribly important and I don't hear us talking about it because we tend to project our own understanding of this word onto it. God is a jealous God. Mm. He is not only personal, but he wants us for himself. And he doesn't want to share us with anybody. Yeah. Um, that one's tough. You know, uh, we just, we, we read 1 Corinthians 13, and it starts off saying love is not jealous. Right. So how can we say God is jealous and yet love is not jealous? Well, well so that's that's kind of what I was saying to Randy. We were trying to find the right verse to talk to to show that God is jealous in the New Testament. And and we found one that that does state it. But that tells us like uh the the problem with finding a verse about God being jealous in the New Testament is so often jealousy in the New Testament is a bad thing. It is not a thing to be. Well, jealousy in a married couple it has its good things, but it also has its bad things. Right. Its good things are that a, a couple that's married doesn't want to share their partner with other people. Right. Uh, there is an exclusivity to that relationship. And in that exclusivity, uh, they share something that nobody else can or should share. But there are aspects of jealousy that are negative what what would be some of those aspects um i mean i think there's a greediness to it um that i guess we have to get to the heart of the issue for that to make sense 
And I, I think the reason why God can be jealous and man shouldn't be jealous is because God is perfect and man is not. Someone perfect can be jealous for all the right reasons. The the problem is when man is jealous, it's often self-serving. It's sort of like what it says about love. Love isn't self-serving. Right, right. Well, that, that verse actually said jealous, right? Right, right. But, but other translations say self-serving. P- part of jealousy, uh, part of the negativity of jealousy, I think, is when jealousy becomes a means to control. Uh, I'm jealous of you, and so I don't want you to have that friend or that friend. And really, I don't want you to have many friends at all because you and I are friends. And that is not what God means when he says that he's a jealous God. Let's look at that passage in Exodus chapter 20. This is when God is, he he starts off his covenant with Israel by giving them 10 words, 10 commandments that he wants them to follow. And one of them is You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the sea or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So when God says he's a jealous God, what he means is that he loves us and he wants us to exclusively love him. No other gods. Right. But we also have to recognize that he doesn't force our hand in that either. He says, look, this is the standard to which I want you to live. But when Israel doesn't do that, which they don't a lot, a lot, he doesn't destroy them. He, I mean, he hands them over to what they've chosen. They, they get to go worship their other gods, but when they go worship their other gods, guess what? You lose the blessing of the one true God. That's right. <laughs> and so he, he stops talking to he, you. He stops talking to you. He stops protecting you. He just lets you live on your own. And when you live on your own, that's when bad things start happening. So it, it's really he just gives us what we want. If we don't want him, well, then he'll back off. And, I mean, if you want to prove that to a further point, the original sin – was disobedience to God. Man walked away from God. And God just, I mean, he could have destroyed them right there, mm-hmm. but he didn't because he loved them. And so that's, he. the story of the Bible is God trying to bring man back to him. So yeah, is he jealous? Yes. Is he controlling? No. In the New Testament, uh, Paul uh, actually carries over that idea of a jealous God. When he writes the Corinthian church, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He says, Paul says, I, Paul, am jealous for you, the Corinthians, with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you to be a pure bride to one husband. That husband is Christ. So what Paul is saying is that God is still jealous. I am just as jealous for you as God is for you because I want you to be exclusively United with Christ. No other gods. Right. And so, you know, when the Bible says we're not to be jealous, the man isn't to be jealous. Paul just said, I am jealous for you. But notice his intentions. Paul is not jealous for these people for his own reasons. He's jealous for them. It's love. Paul's. It's, it's not so he can control them. Right. 
It's so that they can be in the kind of a relationship with Jesus that he is in. Right. Like, I mean, it's basically like saying, I'm jealous that you live. I want you to live. Like, I don't want you to die. I want you to live. Like, that's a form of jealousy, but that's a good form of jealousy. And that's the godly form of jealousy. So if we go back to the family feud, uh, if love is the number one answer, I think the number two answer might be holy. Oh, God yeah. is holy. So God is love above holy. Oh, I don't know. I think they may be. I think all those things it might kind of just be on one even yeah. playing field. I'm with you, yeah. though. That's a big one. So the Old Testament, I mean, the holiness of God is all over there. I'm listening to Heiser's podcast right now, and we're working our way through Leviticus. And I'm very proud of you. <laughs> it's tough going sometimes. But Leviticus, it just talks so much about God's holiness. God is holy. It, it was written on the clothing of the priests. They wore headbands mm-hmm. that said God is holy. Holiness to the Lord, even announcing his personal name, God is holy. And what that means is that he's separate. Yep. He's different. He's not part of our day-to-day world. Uh, There is something unique. There's something different. There's something, there is an apartness about God that even though he wants to be personal, we always have to keep in mind his holiness. He is other. And that's why he's the standard, because nothing is like him. I mean, sorry, things – that's a tricky statement. Um, Oh, but I think you're absolutely right. Right, but I mean like to to have just said like we're made in his likeness, you know, but then to turn around and say nothing's like him. I'm I'm trying not to like muddle that too much. Um, No one is on par with God. All things in existence are held to the standard of God, and that's why we share attributes with him. Um, but we we don't do those things like he does. No one is good like God. No one loves like God. Right. 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 And so, yeah, we, we do share things with him, but not in the way that he does them. Now, that's carried over into the New Testament in a number of different ways. Um, some of the New Testament writers just write boldly about God's holiness. First Peter 1 6, be holy because I the Lord am holy. And Peter sends out a call for people to be holy. But one of the most interesting ones in my mind is just the way the New Testament believers referred to themselves as saints, as holy people. That I don't know, Heiser kind of opened my my eyes to that. That is getting at the priesthood of all believers, Mm -hmm. which was not a concept that was started by John Calvin in the Reformation. It was a concept started by the apostles as they came away from the ministry of Christ, seeing his resurrection and then then his ascension. They began to understand that, hey, we don't have to go to a priest to have a sacrifice made for us because Christ is at the same time our priest 
and our sacrifice, and he makes us priests as well. Right. Um, it, it sort of ties into that, uh, to Jesus praying in the garden when he says, you know, Father, just as I am one with you, let them be one with us. Um, it's this calling of Christians into this separate place from the world to be set aside, to be set apart. That's actually another it is. translation of it. it. Is. But to, to be made into the likeness of Christ, uh, sanctification, which means, uh, I mean, it's the process of being a saint, right? I mean, that's the idea. That is um, exactly the idea. And so, you know, sanctification is one of those churchy words that I'm sure we've talked about at some point in time. But, yeah, I don't think we have yet. But well, I don't. Okay. I don't know that we've deep dove it, but we've we've referenced it. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, like we we hear that all the time. But that just means be made holy, be like God. What's the verse? Uh, be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Right, Matthew five forty eight. We're, we're being held to a standard once again. You and know? then hear the verse that I just read: "Be holy, because exactly. I am holy." From First Peter, which and is that's a direct quote from the Book of Exodus, right? And so they're clearly all referencing back to Exodus there. But that's so there again, we get a very clear example. This is God's nature, which He wants to impart to us as well. He wants us to be love like He is love. He wants us to be holy like He is holy. He wants us to have a personal relationship with Him like He has a personal relationship with us. Yeah, I like that. What uh, what other characteristics we got? Well, um, God is sovereign. Ooh. This is another one that that I think it would be in the, you know, the top three of that Family Feud list. Uh, God <laughs> is in control. He is power. When man thinks he's in charge of something, God steps in and says, "Wanna bet?" Yeah. Let's take a look at this. And the Old Testament is just full of story after story where God steps in, God breaks through. And that that'd be a great name for the Bible, you know, God breaks through. Yeah. Uh God breaks through and when man thought it was going to go this way because everything looked like it was going that way, God breaks through and it goes that way. Right. Yeah, the any any Calvinists or reformers listening right now, you're probably very familiar with the sovereignty of God. That's a very reformation term, you know. Um you know the word sovereign doesn't occur all that much in the Old Testament, but it does from time to time. It's it's the idea behind sovereignty, though. A, a king is sovereign. Right. And there is a right. lot about right. God and Jesus being right. king. So uh, here is one verse from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 20, verse 5. Give them this message. God's speaking to Ezekiel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. When I chose Israel, when I revealed myself to the descendants of Jacob and Egypt, I took a solemn oath that I, the Lord, would be their God. And I'd lead them out of Egypt, and I'd give them the promised land. And he basically goes on in that passage saying, I did that, and I ask you to do this other thing, and you have not done that. Right. (laughs) God is sovereign no matter how we act. If we choose to disobey God, it does not change in one iota 
his sovereignty. Right. He he is still 100% in control. Um, man, what's the verse? Um, David is in uh, Ky- Kyla. Is that the city? He's running from Saul. And he hides. Oh, okay. He hides in this city, right? And when he's there, he prays to God. And he says, will Kyla hand me over to Saul? And God says, they will. And so David leaves. And then Kyla doesn't hand David over to Saul. Okay? Which means that God was sovereign over both of David's choices there. Had David stayed, God would have been correct in saying, yes, they will. They will surely hand you over. But David still had the opportunity to leave, in which they di- he didn't get handed up. You see what I'm saying? Yep, like, I do. It's like do. God saw every single outcome. It's like he knew every end of every possible action. That's huge. Now, one of the reasons uh, you look at the New Testament, you don't see these overt references to the sovereignty of God, and that's because they assumed it. They assumed that everybody understood that God was sovereign, that he was in charge. You definitely get that behind a lot of verses. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight: uh, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Uh, how so? Well, because God is good. God's in control. And uh, even when someone plans evil against you, he will work that out to good. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing you can do that God can't use for his purposes. Like nothing. (laughs) That would be really arrogant of us to think that we could do something so bad that God couldn't use it for good. Like he is just that powerful over every situation. That's amazing. And again, we have story after story in the Bible where that takes place. Yeah. Yeah. Babylon comes in and wipes out Jerusalem. Right. Destroys the temple. And yet that is in God's plan. And it's in that context that Jeremiah says, the Lord says, I have a plan for you. I will work things out to your good and not to injure you. And the very next verse, he says, and you will be taken to Babylon. Right. Boy, that sure felt like it was hurtful and and bad, but God says that's in my good and perfect will for Israel. Or look at um who is the the girl that sleep um she sleeps with oh man, I'm gonna botch this. Does she sleep with Judah? Tamar, his daughter in law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's from Tamar that Christ's lineage comes Tamar through, right? Tamar is listed in Jesus' genealogy. So, so she essentially tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her by pretending to be a prostitute. And he sleeps with a prostitute and then turns around and finds out his daughter-in-law, Tamar, has prostituted herself. And then he gets mad and says, well, then let her be put to death, even though he just slept with a prostitute. Right. And then God turns around and produces Jesus out of that bloodline. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. It's a it's a it's all this sin and all this evil. And God says, no, no, I'm going to make this work. So that kind of feeds into uh, the next characteristic, which is that God is ultimate good. 
Yes. Yes. Which is really hard for people to grasp. Yeah. Commonly it says, uh, if God is good, then he can't be all powerful because bad things are happening to me. And if God is all powerful, he can't be good because bad things are happening to me. Without us stopping to say, could this bad thing happening to me have a good end result in mind? Right. Right. Because, I mean, okay, so the way I look at it is this. God's ultimate proof of his goodness is the fact that he lets us live at all. (laughs) Because we are bad. We're not good. The only reason we are good is through Christ. We're we made... deserve, every day of our life, death. You're right, that because the punishment for sin is death. We're sinners. We're evil. Sin did not exist until we brought it into existence. Sin is just disobedience to God. We decided to disobey. God let us live out of his love. So the fact that bad things happen are because of us and because of God's love for us. It's not that God wickedly chose for us to live in bad. It's that out of his love, he let us live at all, that we could be like him and stop doing evil. <laughs> so so the reason bad things happen is a byproduct of man, not of God. Zach, you are getting into... Uh an area of apologetics called theodicy. Theodicy. And uh, it it asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Okay. And I I think we'll need to come back in a future podcast and dig a little bit deeper into that. We could talk for four hours. Because I tell you what, that's a valid question. I mean, I understand. Like, I get it. Like, I, I can sit here and say I totally understand why bad things happen, and that doesn't stop me when somebody dings my car Stopping and going, oh my gosh, you know, like, why does it, why me, you know, like. Right, right, right. Or, or, you know, understanding that bad things happen to good people and I can understand that in my mind, but when a friend loses a wife prematurely or a, or a son in a car accident, um, I can understand theoretically how that can happen. Dang, that hurts. Oh, that, it's that's insane. painful. And I asked the question even then, why? Why? It's never the right question to ask, but I think God puts up with it because he understands the pain. Right. And well and and literally quite perfectly understands the pain. I mean, he was beaten and tortured and mocked and stripped naked and put on a Roman murder device and left to die. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. It's funny how our minds went straight to the evil and bad when we started talking about the good. God is good. Right. God desires for us good. Sometimes, however, evil, bad happens. Psalm 34, verse uh, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, and that kind of permeates the Old Testament. 
God's desire for Israel is good. Now, Israel doesn't live up to their part of the bargain, and they end up shooting themselves in the foot time after time after time. We are uh, in our sermon series going through the book of Judges, and things get worse and worse and worse. It's not because God desired that for them. They chose that for themselves. They chose to leave God and worship other gods. God sends an oppressor to bring him back, and he does. He sends a judge, and he brings them back, and then they go right back at it. So you're right. We choose evil way too many times, and God lets us live in that evil uh, but God is good. And ultimately, his plan is to bring us back into his good. I mean, that's what he wants for you right now. That's what he wants for everyone right now. Um, I mean, it says that he wishes for none to perish, that all should have everlasting life, that all should be saved. And so one day, um, when Christ comes back and he puts away all the bad in the world, there will be only good and because we'll just be with God. I mean, it's sort of that, that idea of there will be no sun because he will be our light. That's right. That, that's sort of the idea. Like there won't be any good. There'll just be God and God is good. You know, <laughs> living for that day, Zach, I'm living for that day. Now in the new Testament, uh, one point a religious leader comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. So, you know, from Jesus' very mouth, God is the measure by which all good is measured. Which I'm just thinking that's a really cheeky thing for Jesus to say. (laughs) It's, It's like he's poking fun at the... He's like, oh, you get it. (laughs) Yeah, when he didn't, and he knew he didn't. Right, right, right. I think Jesus, I think he was very sarcastic a lot of times in what he said. I wish I could have seen his facial expressions in some of the things that he says here in Scripture. Right. I think this is one of them. You know what? Sorry, just quick plug. That's why I like The Chosen, because he's very sarcastic. He's very just real and personable, and I think it really helps me paint a picture (laughs) Of what I really do think Jesus probably was like when he walked on this earth, you know? Yeah. It's helpful. One of those little sound bites from The Chosen that I I just absolutely love is Jesus with the woman at the well. And the sound bite is she says, I'm going to go tell everybody. And Jesus says, I'm counting on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Hey, one more. God is, fill in the blank, God is glorious. He is, you know, there's a beautiful uh, image. Of course, the Hebrew language only has 1,100 words, and any language has to communicate around 20,000 concepts. So uh, glory is a very abstract concept, and it's a very, very normal Hebrew word that communicates that concept. It's the word heavy. God is heavy. And when the Old Testament says that, 
what it's saying is that his glory just overpowers us. It's like the weight of the world is placed on top of you. It's like a burden. It's a burden. You can't get away from it. It's over you. It's around you. It's under you. It's inside you. God is glory. That's just really weird to me. Um, this is Sorry, I'm kind of rabbit trailing here. But when Jesus says, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, which is really crazy to think about that you've got this to, to, to a Jew. I mean, that's got to be so counterintuitive to say that like the the gift of the, the heaviest thing ex- in existence is so light for you to carry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's crazy. In the Old Testament, uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, one of my favorite Psalms, the heavens declare God's glory. You know, all we have to do is look around. Uh, living here in central Indiana, everything's flat. It's still glorious. I look at a tree, I look at a leaf, look at a bug on a leaf, and it is all full of God's glory. It is all so unique, so intricately made. The fact that these things soak up um, uh, minerals from the ground. It just There's a documentary. It's, it's actually another podcast about how trees eat. And uh, they actually eat because of a symbiotic relationship between themselves and fungus. Fungus creates little tubules, microscopic. You can see them with a magnifying glass. But when you pull up a tree root, there will be little white things on the end. I always thought that was part of the tree. It's not. It's fungus. And the fungus goes from the tree root down into the ground, and the fungus uses water to suck minerals out of the ground and then it exchanges minerals with the tree the tree gives it sugar and it gives the tree minerals if it were not for fungus trees would only be about 12 inches high but because of this symbiotic miraculous glorious relationship Trees grow to 20, 40, 100 feet and and keep growing. Absolutely amazing. The heavens declare the glory of God. We look at creation, and I'm just blown away. Well, a similar thing to what you were just talking about, I was listening to a guy. He he was formerly an atheist. He was an engineer, and he said the reason he came to Christ was he was looking at— they had just developed a way of, of basically blowing up an image under under a mag, or under a microscope even more, and he said he could see just plain as day with his own eyes one of the smallest moving parts of a cell, basically, or, or, or whatever part of the human body was. But but it's one of the tiniest things in existence. And he said, "I'm looking at it." And he said, "It looked like it was designed by somebody at MIT." So it's got a little rotor on it. Like it's like a little machine working. And he was just like, this can't be an accident. Like th- this thing is a machine. Like, wow. And wow. It, it, you're right though. Like you, there's so much that we can't see 
that I don't think we stop to appreciate even the things we can. Because when you do, when you just start trying to make sense of it all, it's so beyond us. It's so beyond any accident. Paul, who uh, looks back at the Old Testament, that's that was his Bible. He looks at it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so we could know the glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus. That's beautiful. Oh, that's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. Because, I mean, Jesus was God-made flesh. Jesus was and, – and that's very tough. Um, and this will kind of lead us into our next statement. But um, we talk about sort of the, the trinity of God being Christ is the Son – but then there's also God the Father. But then they're also the same God. That's right. You know, and, and so so yes, it is the same God, but it's two persons of the same God. So so God is he's I, I guess another attribute is he's just sort of beyond our understanding. Yeah. That that yeah. he he exists in right. ways that we can never comprehend. Maybe when we, we when can we have can talk an idea. to him. <laughs> yeah. We can have an idea, but as far as Totally understanding God? No way. Right. So, Father. Yeah. Talking about Father. We kind of started with that, and we're going to come back to it now. Everything that we've talked about here really can kind of be summarized in the idea of God as our Father. Right. I mean, he's personal. Um, he loves us. He He is other. He's separate from us. He's jealous. He's our father, and he doesn't want us to have any other fathers. Right. Because, I mean, honestly, how many times does God stick up for Israel even when they're the bad guy? That's right. That's <laughs> right. Like, I mean, our parents are kind of like that in a lot of ways. He's good. He's sovereign. He's in control. Right. There, so, uh, sorry, uh, another little saying. Uh, this is a non-Christian saying, but I, I've heard, I don't know who actually said this, but mother is God in the eyes of a child. Have you ever heard that? No, no. I disagree. <laughs> I, I get it. I get what they're saying. But it, it, it's really just you're flipping the Christian worldview. I mean, I mean that that a, a, a parent sort of acts at – sorry, how, how am I trying to say this? A parent is a representation of a characteristic of God. Yes. And so – by looking at in, a good instead parent, of mother is God in the eyes of a child, it should be God is mother in the eyes of a child. Uh, God is mother slash yeah. father. Yeah, in yeah. The there eyes you go. Flip it. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Um, when we look at a good parent, you know, when we look at a good uh, father son or mother daughter relationship, we sort of see a glimpse into who God is. Um, same with a we we were saying how you know um, it's not just father it's son it's right. brother or right. sister because I right. mean Jesus says you are my brothers you know like so I mean there's, there's just, a family relationship right, there right and and it's all about living for one another it's all about being focused on that other person and there is a liberating reality 
that when we join the kingdom, when we say, yes, God, I want to follow you, we become part of his family. I mean, that's incredible. Right. We become a child of God, a, a brother, a sister to Jesus. We, we are members of a family that just, that blows me away. Is it in John? Uh, it may not be. But it, it says we're adopted. It, it's not yeah. It's, it's yeah. not even just like a take my word for it. It's like, no, this is legally binding. Like, yes. You are legally sons and daughters of God now. That's in Paul. Romans. Okay, Romans. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. But, yeah, I mean, that one's awesome. Like, it's like, here's your assurance. You know? Yeah. And he actually says your assurance is the Holy Spirit. You know, is, yep. is, is God – is God living in you? Is he moving you? Is he is he showing you what's right? Is he is he pulling you in the right direction? Okay, well then you're his. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is absolutely great. Zach, uh, here what one two three? We got eight or nine different characteristics of God. Right. God is X, and uh, man. There's that a whole lot so more than deep. this, too. Oh, man. This list is definitely not exhaustive. We, we we could go on and on. Yeah. And the funny thing is a lot of them tie in together. They do. Because it, st- it sort of starts to just paint a picture, you know? I mean, that's yeah. that's what a good painting does. You can't just pick out all the reds and all the purples and all that. You know, they all start to blend together and they make one big, beautiful picture. And that's sort of what this does. There's There's parts where you go, oh, well... Love and jealousy sort of look alike, you know, in, yeah, in a lot yeah, of ways. They do, you know. they do. But um And I think you're right. The 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 father kind of summarizes everything. Yeah. I think it's up there. Or that's or even you gorgeous. know that, that that he's the standard. I that's why it's hard to put your, your finger on just one and be like, ah, oh, this one. Like it's just it's just who he is. That's why it's so hard for me to realize there are many people whose father figure is not a positive influence. It's it's not a good thing. And for them to hear that God is their father, that's a barrier that they have to overcome. Well, I definitely get that. I understand that. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Right. I was actually hoping we'd get to that. I, I forgot to mention that. Um, but, you know, that if you haven't had a good upbringing, if you haven't had family that was ever there for you, um, that ever loved you properly— if you don't even know what that looks like, well, I'm telling you that you can go to the word of God and you can start to realize what that looks like, what love looks like, what family looks like. People are messed up. People don't get it right. And that's why we were talking about God's the standard upon which all these things balance because – or I sorry, or, or are held to um, because whether you've never been loved right or maybe people tried to manipulate you and control you rather than having a godly jealousy towards you. Or, you know, maybe people tried to tried to be the glorious person in your life rather than pointing you to the true glorious God, you know. People take these characteristics and run with them, and they mess them up really bad. And that's why we have to keep coming back to the Word of God. And that's what we were talking about at the beginning here. We can only go to the word to know these things because men just screw it all up every single time. (laughs) But God never does because he's good. Oh, there you go. (laughs) There you are. Yep. Another character. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, 
we got anything else? Zach, I think this has been a good start. I think our next podcast, uh, let's take a look at Jesus. See, uh, maybe do some of these things with him and uh, find out what Scripture says about Jesus. I think that's a good plan. Thank you for listening to Salty Saints. If you guys like what you're hearing, make sure to comment, give us a like, give us a follow, whatever that uh, – Whatever platform you're listening on right now allows you to do to help us out, please do that. That helps us quite a bit. Um, if you've got any questions for us, if you've got any topics you'd like us to cover, um, is questions just for your podcast or can we use that too? We can use that too. Ooh, okay, cool. Although we also have Salty Saints. Yes, we, we do. Hope that um, so, yeah, if you want to write in to us, you can write in at saltysaints at becomehope.com or at um, – questions at becomehope.com and we'll read through those and uh you know whatever you do just maybe try and tell us hey this is for salty saints podcast or whatever that you'd like to this answered but we'll uh we'll try and get that answered for you um, sounds great yeah so uh stay salty jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith then he grins and says do you trust me because together we can do this With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. Find hope through inspirational stories and scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.